You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hey, David. Hello. So it's your birthday today. It is, yeah. You, uh, oh. you and I are the same age again. Yep, just for a while. Yeah. Well, mine's, <laughs> mine's in January, so I've got you by almost four months. Yeah. Uh, the age we're at, and I won't say what it is, let's keep the uh, listeners in the dark, um, is, uh, is a good age to be. Um. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> <So> you don't <laughs> agree. <laughs> I, may, I, I went down the pub for lunch, so I, I may be a little bit more mellow than you on the uh, topic at the moment. <laughs> I, I think I like 32 better than 42, but... Oh, yeah. I said to a colleague of mine this morning, um, he's... Ooh, and we lost call it. And there he is. Lost for a second there. All right, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I said to a colleague this morning, he says, oh, I go and play soccer, and, uh, you know, I ache afterwards. I said, when you get to my age, I said, you ache when you get out of bed in the morning, let alone mm-hmm. play soccer. <laughs> Absolutely. He has no idea what's coming his way. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, your birthday wasn't the only thing we're celebrating today here. My uh, female dog gave birth late last night to four wow. puppies. Cool. Four little mongrels. That's very good. Yeah. So what are you going to do with them? Uh, I'll wait till after the kids like them, and then I'll probably drown them in the tub. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I will send up... I've already got one person who's interested in one. Um, yeah. Are you going to keep any? No. No? No, we've already got two dogs. And uh, that's that's enough. So... Yeah. You know, it's going to break the kids' heart when they get old, a little older, the puppies, that is, and we got to get rid of them. And... You know, it, it sucks being a parent when you have to do that to your own children, but that's kind of part of growing up. Did you have dogs when you were uh, a, a wee little we Cohen? Have, we, we had a dog, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we had him from a puppy through to when he uh, he passed on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard, but he never had, uh, there, was no, there was no puppies, so we never had to deal with that. So you never dealt with puppies as a kid? No. No. Uh, I dealt with kitties. I didn't deal with puppies, though. We always had boy dogs yeah. when I was growing up. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good lesson for kids to learn that, you know, you don't get to keep all these things. Then they have to go to other homes. Yeah. They become other people's dogs, just like your dog's is your dog. But, you know, I, I did deal with kitties, so I, I got some of that. Um, when I was growing up, I was an only child. And we, uh, we, each of us, my mom, my dad, and me had our own cat. Now they were right. really, you know, my mom's cats, but whatever. But one of them was definitely mine. It didn't like anybody but me until it got very, very old. And then it would allow my mom to pet it. <laughs> and, uh, that cat was called Smokey. Uh, very beautiful black with a lot of brown markings on it. Just a beautiful cat. And yeah. her cat was spicy. And Spicy was the most lovable, crawl up in your lap, take a nap, let you pet it, all that kind of thing. My cat, of course, just the opposite. Would let me pet it, but that was it. So Spicy and and Smokey both got pregnant roughly around the same time. And my cat gave birth in the middle of the night on my pillow on my bed while I was sleeping. Ew. Yeah. And you had to go through my bedroom to get to the bathroom. So around 
I don't know, 11, 11, 12 o'clock at night, my mom comes in to go use the bathroom, and I'm sound asleep, and she sees what's going on on the pillow next to my head, literally inches from my head, the back of my head. And my dad gently got me out of bed, didn't wake me up, put me on the couch, and they cleaned the whole thing up afterwards. Right. Uh, The next day, the other cat gives birth, my mom's cat. My mom remembers this just the opposite of me, but I know I'm right. Yeah. Her cat was the world's worst mom. She would, she would, they beat cat. Yeah, she would just take off and then be gone the whole day. And yeah. my cat was very attentive and would go over, pick her cat, her kittens up one by one, put them in with her bunch, and take care of them through the whole day. Then Spicy would get back home and get all pissy and move her cats back until she decided that she wanted to go do something again. And then my cat would go get them and bring them over because they'd be crying, you know. So did you turn her into uh, cat social services? I did, yep. (laughs) She did 20 years. It was, uh, my mom remembers it just the opposite, but I know she, I know I'm right because I remember thinking at the time, yeah, everyone thinks your cat's the better cat, but it's a terrible mom. My cat is a terrible cat for everybody else, but it's a much better mom. Okay. Um, sorry, I got somebody else chatting with me. Gaz Mavs uh, from the MyMac show is chatting me up on Skype at this, you know. Right. Uh, So I'll have to watch out for when they're next recording, and then I'll start pinging in with distractions while he's trying to do a show. I think they're uh, going to be recording this coming week, and it'll be their 400th episode. Wow. That's a long time. Long time for podcasting. Uh... Let me talk for a minute so I can answer him. So, um, yeah, 400 episodes. So, I, I mean, I heard somebody the other day say that they did one of the first podcasts after um, Tim Curry, uh, after about Adam Curry started. But I think you probably started before they did. Cool. Uh, I'm trying to forget. I'm trying to remember, I think it was on the uh, MacBreak Weekly show. So some guy who, who was doing broadcasting, and he said that he started a podcast about three, four months after Adam Curry. And so he's saying, oh, it's probably the first podcast after Adam Curry. And I'm thinking, no, probably my Mac has got you beat there. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah, definitely. We The MyMac started in 2004. Yeah. And very few podcasts have gone that length. <laughs> I think I mean consistently to me, I, on a weekly I think basis. That's, that's more of an interesting statistic. Is not when you started; it's about how long you've maintained it. Because it's, you know, it's really hard to keep up a show, um, as we well know. As we well know, you know, we've had changes of personnel, including myself on the MyMac show, um, and uh, it's difficult to maintain that and to maintain a show. And we, you know, we've got other shows on the network that that have kind of come and gone and. Or have gone on hiatus, and then other people come back in and everything. So, I think it's a real achievement that we've been able to maintain some continuity on that one. I just uh, texted over to, well, text via Skype to Gaz, and uh, he was asking me a question. And I said, "I'm recording Tech Fan at the moment," and I said, "In fact, when you listen back, you will hear me uh, talking and typing this." 
And he yeah. says, uh, laughing out loud, uh, I'll leave you alone. Say hi to the aud- listeners for me. So, hi, listeners from Gaz over at my Mac. Um, go, listen, go listen to his show. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, here's the thing. My Mac has been going so long now. I actually had a dream about this that I told Guy, I think, that for whatever reason, Guy and Gas quit the MyMac show. They didn't want to do it anymore. I don't know if they wanted to go start a new show or they just were burnt out of podcasting, which some people get. Um, although if anybody was going to be burned out, Guy would have been burned out a long time ago. I mean, he's been doing this a long time. He's a podcast veteran. And so is Gaz. I I, Guy grew up in the 60s. I think he was burnt out before he started. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's laughing right now hearing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but but I had this dream that they quit, and so you and I decided, okay, you know, we we can't do both shows, so we quit Tech Fan, and went back to the MyMac show. And then when I woke up, I thought about it, and that's probably exactly what would happen. I would want MyMac to continue simply because of the longevity, and how yeah. long that show has been running. I mean, whether I'm doing it or somebody else is doing it, I want my Mac podcast to continue. Um, and, you know, the reason I didn't go back to that hosting that show, uh, when I left OWC and went to Mac Specialist, I could have done. But I thought, and I, and I believe rightly so, that Guy and Gaz were doing a fabulous job. Yeah, they had they hit their stride, and they made it their own show, and... Yeah. You know, I, I did not want to come in and be a disruptive influence on that show. I was like, you know what? It's their show now. They're doing a great job. Why the hell would I go back and mess that up? Exactly. And I think it was the right decision. I mean, hell, they're coming up on episode 400. And it was in the 200s when I quit. Yep. So, I mean, you know, it's it's their show. And it's, uh, I like listening to it. And I hope the listeners of Tech Fan listen to my Mac as well. Yeah, me too. Me too. They were uh, good guys, and uh, and they, they really lot, are. You can tell are, they have a lot of fun when they, they do. It, uh, absolutely, but and they're definitely our sister show. You know, they talk yeah. about our show quite a bit on theirs, and we do the same thing. Yeah, but let's talk about other things now before we take our first commercial break. And by the way, we missed last week because the Friday the Thirteenth bug went up and bit David really hard on his ass. <laughs> I, I, you know. You know how um, anybody who, who, who like, does tech support for other people will have had this experience where you're the guy. Yeah, you're the guy who knows everything. And so, you know, any tech problem you can kind of deal with and then you start trying to fix something and just everything goes wrong. It goes That's downhill. What That's what happened to me last Friday. It Absolutely. literally was everything I tried just was a spectacular flat on its face fade we we and, actually uh, recorded about 12 minutes but yeah. your audio quality was so atrocious and we had so yeah. many problems you probably thought i was getting pissed off but i wasn't no no i i i knew you understood kind of what it is and and kind of let me let me lay out what i think the i'm holding in my hands the piece of equipment i think was caused the ultimate problem here well there was a multiple multiple things i have loads of macs here in the office i, I do this from my office because it's middle of the afternoon here uh, and I have loads of Macs here. So in the past, I brought my MacBook Air in to record the show. And, and I kind of stopped doing that because I thought, what's the point? I have all these machines. So I had a, a PowerBook I was going to use. And then I have a, a headset that I use for recording that has its... It's a Plantronics headset. It's pretty good quality. But it has like a USB DSP 
attached to it so it uh, plugs into the computer and there is something wrong with this it basically makes some sort of buzzing noise so we started trying to record and Tim said you know what you've got this dreadful ground hum type buzz so I said no problem I'll switch something else and every after that everything I tried just didn't work I ended up <laughs> it's kind of funny really I was in the corner of the office in the meeting room I was in on my iPhone using Skype which obviously on the iPhone meant I was on wireless um, the meeting room, I, the only meeting room was available was quite far from the wireless access point in here. And I was like jammed up in the corner, holding my <laughs> iPhone over my head, talking to you on a headset. And I'm thinking, okay, this is just kind of working. And then what would happen is the wireless would drop out. And yeah, that was it. That was we it. We just, yeah, it was the it wasn't. It wasn't meant to be. No. But, yeah, these things happen. What are you going to do? So, yeah. So, you know, we're... Uh, this is episode 73 it should be 74 <laughs> and i was thinking you know scott wilsey over on pocket size podcast david who started after us is eventually going to catch us in numbers <laughs> simply because we keep skipping weeks here and there <coughs> oh, well. busy lives and and when you got the technical glitches as well yeah but it is kind of weird you know that that thing where Sometimes it just doesn't matter what you do. Every idea you have is just a bad one. Yeah, and it's just, you, you just spiral down a never-ending cesspool of not working. Yeah, just and, and you kind of say to somebody, oh, don't worry, this will fix it, this will sort it out, and then I'll be okay, and then it doesn't, and you just feel... No, I, 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 I will I, disagree I you, with I you, David. You, I said I feel like such a failure, didn't I? <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> I, I, I'll disagree with you, David. That doesn't happen with me when I'm fixing other people's stuff. That only happens to me when I'm fixing my own thing. If I was working on somebody else's, it would work fine, and I'd go about my day, and everything would be good. But because I'm working on my own stuff, it just it that's when I run into problems. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Oh, so, and so. Uh, da- Gaz also said uh, to say hi to David. He 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 nearly forgot you. Oh, right. Okay. I, you know what? I need to pop in and see him. Next time I'm going down his way, I'm going to pop in and see him. because see, uh, we, when's, visiting hours at, when, when's visiting hours at the prison there? <laughs> what? The asylum? I'm not it's really not sure. A con- it's not a conjugal visit, I hope. No. No? Okay. Not. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a quick break, David, and uh, listen to an ad for another show here in the Stoplight Network. And we'll come back and we'll talk about some cool tech stuff. Be right back. Oh, hey, Kevin. It seems like it's been a long time since I've seen you. Uh, anything new? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I just won the lottery. You won the lottery? Yeah, the Knowledge Lottery. I found the Mac Specialist Podcast on the Stoplight Network, available on iTunes. Lots of fun facts and interesting things about anybody who's a Mac owner and wants to know more about using OS X, iOS, or any Apple device out there. You should check it out. Are they going to talk about Google stuff? Uh, well, the one guy will. He's such a fanboy. And we're back. So you can hear the fans running on my iMac, David. Yeah, it sounds like you've got the glitches today. Yeah, I don't know. It's been running. It's been kicking on its fans quite a bit lately. It's Is a... it hot there? No, not really, no. In fact, it's quite mild today. It's been doing this a lot lately. I think what I need to do... Well, I just heard a puppy squeak in the other room. Yeah. Um, I think what I need to do is I need to completely unplug everything from the iMac and uh, see about blowing out dust and stuff like that. 
Yeah. If your computers get dusty, they will start running the fans more often because it takes more to cool them down. That's right. Let's see. Um, you know, as we're wont to do, we'll jump online, David, and kind of look for cool things to talk about. And uh, yep. I found a couple of cool things at Ars Technica, and I also found something cool at Wired. But the first one is... Uh, Archives digitize 19th century material for 21st century access. This is kind of stuff that I really, really enjoy. And the, the picture they have up here is obviously a handwritten letter from uh, August 9th, 1794. So technically that would have been the 18th century, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's a collection of 8,800 records from uh, some place called Britain. Their, their colonial <laughs> <Yes>. history. <laughs> yeah, I, now it's interesting this because I, I've spoken to the National Archives, who are responsible for doing this sort of thing, about uh, kind of in a prof- professional capacity about technology and formats and that sort of thing. What I found interesting about this story is: do we think? Obviously, it improves the access to information by digitizing it. But the worry I always have is, if you get rid of the originals because you've digitized it, are you actually improving your situation or are you actually making it worse? Well, I, I, my, I didn't think they were getting rid of the originals. Uh, the, the difficulty I have is that, you know, this is a government agency. One day, you can imagine some bureaucrat somewhere looking to cut costs saying, oh, what do you mean you have all this stuff in storage when you've got it digitized? You can just get rid of the originals. And, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, I don't I re- see that. I, I could, really hope not. Yeah. You know, but. I mean, I could see it for, you know, I don't know, maybe old land records and stuff. If they've got it digitized, you don't really need the original. But well, when it comes to the, letters yeah, and pro- stuff like that. Yeah, the problem with originals is that when you decide, and we've seen this time and time again over the years, when you decide to get rid of something because it's not valuable to you, just because it's not valuable to you doesn't mean it's not valuable to somebody else in the future. Oh, absolutely. The BBC, for instance, deleted, uh, you know, trashed loads and loads of films and tapes of TV shows that they used to film live and transmit live, and they would keep a backup copy, and then after after a couple of years, they'd kind of run out of space they'd overwrite the tapes or they'd uh, throw the trash to throw the things out and now there's loads of uh, you know classic tv shows which are lost forever because they did that um wait so it's always is, this is all british shows this old british shows yeah, oh, yeah so like for instance, nothing this lost, whole then. this whole oh, thank you <laughs> this old yeah. benny hill or something come on <laughs> this, this whole uh, seasons of doctor who you know the best show ever made um, that are that are missing because cause that kind of went through. My daughter would I'm, agree I'm, with you, by the way. My seventeen-year-old who's <laughs> going to be eighteen yeah. very soon. Yeah, she'd agree she's with a, you. She's a Doctor Who fan, is she? Mm. Yeah, she wants to go to uh, London. Uh, uh, just me and her. Yeah, um, I told you that before. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I like to do that as well. I think she would. Uh, she wants to do the whole Harry Potter thing. I mean, she's a huge Potter fan. She's. She really is just a fan of Britain. And uh, when she mentions this to me, you know, that she would like to go over to England and uh, starts talking, you know, I already knew she was a Who fan. I already knew she was a Potter fan. I said, so you're really kind of getting into the whole, you know, what's on BBC. And she was like, yeah, 
I said, well, you know the, the, the podcast I do, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, you do know my co-host lives in the UK, right? Really? <laughs> she said, yeah. She goes, do you even notice his accent anymore? I said, not really. <laughs> I really funnily enough, yeah, funnily enough, um, I mean, you'll, you'll have to tell us, you'll get a kick out of this. The uh, BBC has just moved from London to a new um, television and media center just across the road from where I'm working now, where I'm talking to you from, called um, Salford Media City. And most of their output now is being transmitted directly from here. Um, and, uh, you know, you can kind of wander over there and you can go and see shows recorded and you can, um, see the studios and that sort of thing. So she'd probably get a kick out of that. She ever gets oh, over here. Will. Absolutely. I don't know. Americans always kind of had a fascination with, with, uh, the, with Britain because for the most part, that's kind of where we came from. I mean, we're, we are definitely a collection of immigrants and America is not made up majority of, of. English descent anymore. It's African no. descent. It's Mexican descent. I mean, it's from everywhere. And that's, yeah. that's what makes America great, in my opinion. But um, there's still a lot of people in America who looks kindly upon England. I mean, in some respects, you guys um, set a lot of trends in the United States. And, uh, you know, I... I I just look at my daughter as a prime example. She's got a fascination with England. I've never had that fascination with any other place in the world like that. I always kind yeah. of wanted to, to visit Russia, or as I called it back then, the Soviet Union, because mm-hmm. they were always the bad guys in every movie we ever watched, David. You know, in the in the 80s, that was the bad guys. It wasn't terrorists. That's right, yeah. It was Russians. Yep. And, growing, uh, up, I, growing up, I never thought I would ever get be able to go because of the... You know the Cold War and the Iron Curtain, all of that. Absolutely. Um, you know, so uh, I, I have, I've been to St. Petersburg, so I've kind of been there and, and seen some of it. You know, Leningrad. <laughs> not yeah, not to, uh, was is that what they used to call St. Yeah. Petersburg? Was yeah, it, it is, wasn't yeah. uh, wasn't St. Petersburg? Wasn't it Leningrad? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we're but, probably um, wrong. Someone, someone will email us and say you dummies. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. But uh, but you know it's it's interesting and and it's it's interesting how things change. I mean this this just going back to the topic, you know this interesting thing about the digitised records, as I say, is is whether is whether providing access stuff actually improves things or or doesn't. You know they become ubiquitous, they become available via the web, easy to research and everything. Does that that sounds like it should be a good thing? To me, there's something more um, scholarly about actually going to somewhere like the, the National Archives and seeing the original paper. I well, kind that's of, always going to be the case. I mean, I can look at yeah. pictures of Mount Rushmore, and that's not the same as going there and looking at. Yeah. You know, that that's always going to be the case. But don't you think that sometimes putting this stuff and, and putting it on the web kind of, you know, devalues it in a lot of people's minds for, for exactly that reason, because it comes so easy to research? No, I think it does for um, people whose job was to know where that information was before, and they were experts in the field because they knew that old dusty storeroom and where everything was. And their job becomes devalued because people can simply use Google to look up the information and get, and see yeah. a copy of the original. But as a whole, no, I think the world is always a better place. Always a better place, David, 
with more access to information. The more information people have, the better it is for everybody. It enriches our lives. Um, that's what we are as a culture, the, the, the human population. We're always looking for the next thing. We're always looking to gain more knowledge. And I think that's only increasing with uh, the proliferation of easy access to information. I mean, we're, obviously, we're going to have lazy people who don't give a crap. You know, and they spend their whole day on Facebook. They're not really contributing to much of anything. But, no, I, I, don't, I don't agree with you, David. I think making it available like this makes it more valuable than less. I, I just hope that the, um, the quality of the uh, kind of the metadata and the searching, everything is maintained. I'm confident that something like the National Archives um, does do that. I'm always, you know, you, you do come across this on the Internet now where something that's wrong becomes right because so many people repeat it in the Internet echo chamber. And, you know, you're always kind of conscious that, that the more stuff that's made available on the web can be hijacked by people who have their own agenda and then kind of yeah, reformat it. Be, and re- yeah, but that's always going to be the truth. And if people look, if, if someone's passionate enough, they will find the unvarnished truth, I think. The, Which the is difficulty, why, yeah. I, you know, just recently someone from 60 Minutes passed away. Yeah, Mike, Mike, Mike Wallace. Uh, Mike or, Wallace, yeah. And to me, he was always one of my heroes. He was completely fearless on asking questions. And when people would out, out and out lie to him, he would give that, come on. And you, you just, you couldn't resist that. He would just, he was like a, a pit bull going for the jugular. And I really respected that because the truth is, you know, as a writer, as a podcast, that to me, that's where you have to be. You have to speak the truth, whether the truth is your opinion or, or a factual based truth. And but I, I, I think that that kind of comes to my point about the, uh, I mean, you mentioned in reference to this, you said, oh, well, Google, the difficulty I have is that a lot of this stuff is filtered through tools like Google. And the easier it becomes to get to, the easier it is for people to not do a proper job like, uh, you know, what Mike Wallace would do, where he would really get under the skin of a story and get under the skin of the, of the knowledge and the facts behind something to understand it before he wrote his piece about it or delivered his um, segment on it. He, you know, nowadays what you have is you have the blogger mentality, which is, you know, Oh, well, I'm, I fa- I've got a fact, and I'm going to build an entire article on the basis of my f- feelings about this fact and publish that, and then the whole article then becomes fact because 15, 20 other websites pick it up and repeat it. We had a prime example of that this week with this story about um, uh, Tim Cook from Apple was apparently up at Valve, the games developer, who the games developer does Portal and Half-Life and that sort of thing. It's not true. He was never there. Apparently, the guys at Valve, when this story came out, were going, oh, well, who's, who's meeting Tim Cook? It's not me. And they were all doing that. And eventually, after they'd all emailed each other, they realized none of them were. But this is, the, this is kind of what worries me slightly about the... Um, don't get me wrong. I'm very much into democratization of data and democratization of stuff that's currently in dusty old boxes in big warehouses. But the difficulty I have is, is the way I think we use it is so shallow nowadays that I wish... Um, it was harder to get to because that in itself drives the journalistic process and just having it on Google and accessible via Google or the internet 
allows people to be so lazy to the point that it 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 disenfranchises the value of the data itself. I I disagree with you. In fact, your your example kind of proves my point. The truth actually did come out. He wasn't yeah, there. It, yeah, it didn't. It, the, the truth came out a week afterwards. But still, I mean, you nobody know, nobody figured it out on the day. You know, well, this, uh, this is honestly the first I've heard of it. I, I mean, you're, it you're always going to have these Mac rumor sites. That's always going to happen. You're always going to have opinion articles and and blogs. But you had that yeah, in newspapers it, as well. I mean, you could go back in in history and see someone's opinion shaping what the truth is based on historical documents. That's always it, been the case. That's true, but the difficulty <clears throat> I have is that the more I see the media use Twitter and um, Facebook to kind of drive the 24-hour news agenda, the more you see even credible news organizations like um, Fox News, like CNN, like NPR, for instance, <laughs> take something at face value without doing a proper journalistic dive into it and actually establishing what the facts are. And NPR is a prime example. They, fe- Despite the fact that this is a very, very quality you know, well-edited, well-trained journalistic integrity organization, you know, they fell into that trap too of, of, of taking a single source and believing everything that they were told about him because the research they were doing was just repeating what the guy had said and that kind of amplified what he said and made it more credible, but it didn't make it right. Cause they and didn't what go happened to the right in the sources. end? Well, they got found in the end, but again, it was, it was weeks afterwards, you know, um, the problem is, is that sometimes I, I agree with you there that that nowadays journalists don't do a very good job, and we don't have very many Mike Wallace's left. Which again is why I really lamented his passing, because yeah. it did drive home that we don't have a lot of people like this left, and we need we need people like this. Um, but I am a firm believer that the truth always comes out in the end. I, I'm I'm not a I'm not a, I'm not a um, going back to the archive story. I'd like to see digitization of data. I'd like to see data more available. I'm just not a huge fan of just sticking it up on the internet and letting Google crawl all over it. I think that's really what it comes down to, because that's what makes it too easy. And and at the end of the day, some with some things, the easier you make it, the less valuable you make it. Because it can be so, you know, it's easy to use it for good. It's easy to use it for bad. And sometimes I just wish it was um, some things were made harder to access just because that encourages the right people to go looking and to, to look more, more critically at what they see. So here's something that kind of goes along with that. It doesn't quite go back that far in history, but... Original Apple II Prince of Persia code, uh, source code published by Creator. And this is on Ars Technica as well. The source code for the classic Apple II game Prince of Persia has been published by GitHub by Gordon or Jordan uh, Mecher, Mechner, the original author. The game, which was first published by Broderbund in 1989, was developed in 6502 assembly. Uh, wow, that had been running pretty fast on an old Apple II. With yeah. the help of an Apple II enthusiast, Tony Diaz, the code was recovered from a near recently uh, recovered recently from a 22-year-old floppy disk. In addition to releasing the original co- code, Mechner also published. Let me move my screen a little bit here. There we go. 
also published a 30-page reference document from October 89 that describes some of the game's underlying technical details. At the time, the document was written for the benefit of developers who were porting the game to other platforms. Although the source code of the game is now available to study, modify, and run, it's technically not open-source software. Ubisoft still holds exclusive distribution rights for the franchise. The code is being made largely available for historical purposes. Um, so what do you think? I the think it's very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. I'm, I'm just looking at it now. and um, Yeah, I'm not sure how valuable it is in terms of... Well, to you or you me, know, it's, but... You no, know, it's not, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's the sort of thing that anybody could pick up and... Um, it's it's pretty well commented. So let, let's um, let's think. Let's. I think you're only looking for for it and at it from one perspective. Let me give you another one, which is why I think stuff like this is important. It's written in old assembly line language. Um, yep. And so it's it's pretty much worthless to us nowadays. And let's be honest, none of us really wants to play. <laughs> that game. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, you a video game player, on, but you can play it on the iPhone. You can right. play it. It's yeah. Can, yeah, and you can play it on in a web browser at this point. But let's say you're 13 years old, and you live in Africa, and you've got one of these little Linux laptops, and you find this, and you download the source code, and you actually start learning how to program based on this. Not that the 6502 processing language is really going to do them a lot of good, but it, it's a foundation, and it gives them ideas. Yep. And these ideas lead him to create a game. And this game sells bazillion copies. And a lot of the money he makes from this game, from licensing this to a big company benefits his village that he grew up in rinse repeat across the world now that's putting a lot on just someone finding the source code for prince of persia yeah. but it's stuff like that that i think makes it valuable um and that's why i i go back to what i said the more information out there available the better because something like this could, for somebody like, you know, uh, somebody in an underprivileged country, for instance, or hell, someone that lives two blocks down from you, could inspire them to do something of their own. And just the fact that they're creating something on their own, they may never become rich, but it may enrich their life. Yeah, that's why I think stuff like this is important. Yeah, I'm just looking at the code. I mean, it, it's fairly well commented. I mean, the key thing with assembly is always because assemblies are, you know, is, is obviously very low level. You're talking directly to the memory and the processor in the system, right? Which is why so it runs so much faster. Yeah, but it's important that it's well commented in that case because obviously you can't really make any head or tail of it if it's just a list of um, assembly instructions. It's actually This is actually pretty good. You could probably kind of figure out what's going on with this because that's the key thing is trying to understand why the commands he's got in here for each part of the program do what they do. Yeah. Um, you, you know, this is probably a pretty good 
pretty good resource. And yeah, I have to say, all credit to the guy for not only making it available and goes to the effort of finding it, but also for making sure when he wrote the thing. I mean, here's a, here's an object lesson in in how you should program in terms of you know put loads of comments in, use real um, uh, you know meaningful um, <clears throat> variable names, so you can actually understand what the hell's going on. Yep. Because uh, too many people, you know, code quick and dirty, but they don't bother with that. And uh, then you come back to the thing after a couple of weeks and you've got no chance, let alone, um, was well, when did this come out? 89, so uh, probably, uh, you know, probably 20 years old. I remember when it came out. I remember seeing it in stores. Yeah, I played it on my uh, Commodore Amiga, um, the Prince of Persia. So Jordan uh, Metchner, hats off. Good job, and Tony yeah. Diaz for helping to recover it. Excellent job. So let's take our last break, and we've got one more subject to, co- to cover. I think it'll be kind of interesting. Be right back. Hi, this is Dale Nemirovsky. I'm John Nemo's mom, and I'm here to say that he was really a pretty good boy. I, I really liked him a lot, and he was very well behaved, but he didn't like his vegetables or wear his jacket, and that made me very angry because I was afraid... He would get cold. I was always afraid the kids would get cold. But the desserts, let me tell you, he was really into desserts. If you listen to the App Minute podcast, desserts on me. Are you a geek? I guess so. What do you mean you guess so? Prove your geek red. I don't need to prove myself to you. I'm the new host of the geekiest show ever. We will see about that. Don't you just hate it when droids think they have all the control and don't know their role? You know, they forget that we can turn the power off. Oh no, you can't. Oh yes, I can. Don't, please. I'll be good. That's better. Nothing worse than artificial intelligence being, well, unintelligent. Head across to iTunes and subscribe to the Geekiest Show Ever podcast, the only show truly dedicated to geekery. Last thing before we wrap up tech fan number 73, David. A lot of stories lately going about uh, on the new iPhone that's supposedly going to come out this year. Um, obviously, you know, I, I think we'll probably see a new iPhone this year. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't. If they let the 4S run for a good year and a half. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Well, no, I wouldn't either. I mean, I think the iPhones, in terms of the uh, iterations they've done on this, is starting to become fairly mature. Yep. Uh, and uh, the question you have to ask yourself with each one is how can they improve it for the next one? And it does kind of make sense that... The closer they get to kind of what they would call perfection in terms of they don't really want to, they don't see major changes coming, um, then the more sense it makes to actually kind of stretch out that cycle rather than necessarily do it 12 months. So um, I could see that. I could see that. Have, however, you know, the, the holiday quarter is a big quarter for them. And, and the, the question they, I guess they would be asking themselves is if they don't launch a, a new iPhone before uh, October 2012 how's that going to affect their quarterly numbers for the for the holiday quarter um and and you know can is, is the are the sales of the 4s strong enough for them to maintain maintain that you know um so the big, interesting so the big thing going around right now is korea it news reports 
reported Wednesday that the iPhone 5 is likely to be housed in liquid metal. The commercial name for an alloy of titanium, zirconium, 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 I cannot speak today. Zirconium. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Nickel, copper, and other metals. It would make the outer surface of the phone smooth like liquid, according to the report. Uh, liquid metal was discovered by the California Institute of Technology in 1992. It is a class of patented amorphous metal alloys, basically metal glass, with unique properties including high strength, high water resistance against... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, high wear resistance against scratching and denting, and good strength-to-weight ratio. Apple was granted its use in uh, August 2010. Um, liquid metal allows precision parts to be fabricated similar to plastic injection molding, but with similar properties to metal. So, number one, this is not not you know, a, a T-1000. <laughs> that can change its body shape. Oh, how I wish it was. <laughs> um, it, for all intents and purposes, this is just a stronger metal. But it's actually but, metallic glass. Yes. It's actually a glass with the... <clears throat> Um, with the it's a metal. It's a metal, but with the crystal structure of glass. Right. And you can shape it like you can plastic and molding injection, which means um, you can get better curves, you can get better strength. This is quite interesting. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in liquid metal. David, come on! Just the sound. How, how, how could Apple market the iPhone? It's a great marketing made from term, isn't liquid it? metal. Liquid metal, yeah. Oh my god! Look, I mean, you look at the look at the current iPhone. Um, it's got glass in the front and the back. Um, obviously, that is a potential weakness. I've never had one break on me. In fact, I don't think I've ever had, I've ever broken the screen on any iPhone I've I ever had. I haven't either. But is is. You know, for what I do for a living, I've seen broken iPhone glass. Yeah, um, but but you know, to uh, assume working from the basis that they actually quite like that form factor, um, to replace the uh, one of the panels with a with a metallic panel that kind of looks the same or has the same sort of properties, that would be pretty cool. Um, I'd be interested to know what it does to the aero performance. You know, I don't think Apple's going to release uh, an iPhone with antenna problems again, David. <laughs> I'd hope not. I, I don't think you're going to see that problem creep into Apple's product line again. I, I think that would be very surprising. It's interesting you say that, actually. I've just re- had my iPhone 4 replaced. Um, it's about 14 months old, and literally about two weeks ago, the battery life just fell off a cliff. Really? I mean, it was dramatic and i'm not the only one about four or five phones in our companies had exactly the same problem huh. where literally it was we, you had to charge it twice a day um and uh was really kind of weird so i just had it replaced under warranty with a, another iphone 4 i've noticed this this new iphone 4 even though it's not 4s it's just a 4 has substantially better antenna performance than the old one did really yeah i mean you so they've you done can just, something They've done something because I, I, you know, I'm in the same place. I'm on the same network, um, and I'm seeing many more single bars than I saw before. Huh? Interesting. In the same. That's kind of weird. Why? Well, I, I, you know, I, I don't really have any problems with my iPhone 4s. Um, I'm starting to take Siri for granted a little bit. Uh, for reminders, I've really, really enjoyed that aspect. Um, 
I think it's a really good phone. Of course, yeah. with that being said, if Apple comes out with a liquid metal iPhone 5, I'm totally there, dude. <laughs> I'll be there if it's liquid metal or not, but just the Well, it, yeah, I mean, um, the, look, whatever, whatever they do with the iPhone 5, it, they will improve because this is what they do. Um, you know, there'll be a new OS as well that will probably run on the 4 and the 4S, but will work better on the 5. Yep. Um, or whatever the next model is called. And, um, you know, it'll be a better phone. It always is. I've, I found this I found this speculation interesting in light of what's happening with Windows Phone this week, where um, it's becoming fairly clear that even if you go out today and buy the brand new flagship Windows Phone that's just launched, the Nokia 900. Lumia 900. Yeah, the Lumia 900. 900. Yeah, when the next version of Windows Phone comes out in a few months' time, it won't run it. Probably. You will have to buy a new handset yeah. to run And um, I just kind of think, really? I'm with you. <laughs> you know, does, my, does Microsoft... And, and, and Android has this problem as well. There are huge problems with upgradability on these well, devices. Well, but it's not the phone, and it's not... Uh, the people no, well, apparently, OS, with, apparently the with Windows Phone 7.5 and Windows Phone 8, it is actually Microsoft. They have specifically archered architecture Windows Phone 8 to be a fresh, fresh new start. Really? And that's why the, hands, the current handsets can't run well, it. What about the millions of users? Oh, wait, never mind. But, but that's part of the problem, <laughs> isn't it? That is part of the problem. Here you have... You know, a new flagship partnership. You've got the you know the Nokia Lumia nine hundred's got a lot of marketing dollars behind it. They're positioning this as the you know the hot new thing. This is the the first one that can really take the fight back to the iPhone. Uh, and what they're not telling anybody is on the quiet. Oh, by the way, won't run the next version of the software. So we're throwing you under a bus if you if you buy into our brand new platform. Yeah, it would be sad. And Microsoft's always done a pretty good job of allowing the newest device to run older software. That's kind of been their cash for a long time. So, oh well. What are you going to do? Not like I was <laughs> not, even... Not, gonna... not buy a window, uh, Nokia 900. That's what I... No. I, I mean, I was talking to my brother about this. He's just joined a new company, and um, they're in PR, and so they represent some of these large electronics manufacturers. They're, they're in PR. They are, they are basically... They okay, because you PR. said because they're NPR. <laughs> Like no, they're not NPR. National Public Radio? In, no, they are NPR. In, they in they are relations. a very large public relations, not an advertising company, but a public relations company, and they represent many large non-fruit-logoed um, electronics manufacturers. Let me just say it like that. So he's been offered phones that um, come from their client base. So mm-hmm. he's been offered that phone or he's been offered a Windows mobile phone but he can't have an iPhone and uh, you know he's kind of talk about Hobson's choice he's really stuck with what the hell do I get you know I could have something that um, has a berry in the name or I could have an Android phone or I could have a Windows phone but I can't have the phone I want Mm. you know and I said to him I said don't get a Windows phone because you'll be getting a new one <laughs> i don't know why this was sent to me i got on some mailing list obviously it's from uh hearmore.com but this is an actual you know little Piece newsletter that i got yeah. and it says uh products for the deaf and hard of hearing spring sale to 2012 um you know usually i would just throw stuff like this away 
No, yes. but I'm, no I sorry, don't. I'm sorry, it's an old joke, but it's like, news for the death. Hello! <laughs> the news today! Sorry. <laughs> but I, I just happened to, you know, open it up, and, and I looked at one thing. And do they market things differently to the deaf? I mean, because you tell me what this sounds like. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you what it is, but Sonic, Boom, Alarm Clock, and Bed Shaker. Okay? Now, now here's, the, here's the things. Turbocharged, extra loud alarm, supercharged bed shaker, adjustable volume and tone, explosive red display, pulsating alert light. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little excited about it myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm strangely aroused. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, the pulsating alert light and the uh, explosive red display <laughs> in the now, you uh, see, I find it supercharged bed shaker. I Woo. find it interesting that this Hot. is being marketed in that way to the um, hard of hearing because I'm I've just done a search for that product and I found it on Think Geek. And Think Geek says even ninjas need their sleep. <laughs> for a ninja, sleep is a time of renewal, contemplation, and rejuvenation. And when a ninja sleeps, it is a very deep sleep. <laughs> Most sleeping ninjas can only be roused from slumber by another ninja, which is a big problem if you're a ninja, are tired, must wake up for a secret ninja mission, and the only ninja in your office. Good thing we found the sonic bomb clock. It will wake even the soundest ninja nap. <laughs> so, I like same products. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Explosive red display, pulsating alert light, supercharged bed shaker. Apparently, you know what? This is this is such a hot ad, and this was sitting right underneath my iMac. That's why the fans have been running so hot so long today. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. So, David, we're going to wrap up Tech Fan number seventy-three. Of course, we welcome feedback from the listeners. Uh, you can send it to uh, Tim at mymac.com or David Cohen at mymac.com. You can find me on Twitter. It's at mymac. And I'm at David B. Cohen. And you can find MyMac online on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash online. So, David, I'll see. Go, go ahead. Yeah. You can't I'll find see. you on. Yeah. Can't find me on Facebook because, yeah. I, as you pointed out to me, I never log into it. Yeah. Did you Did you see my happy birthday to it? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> so, uh, happy birthday, David. Thank you very much. I hope you have a great one, and I'll see you in a week. Next week. <laughs>